to jump 1,000 cars. Sir, you have a 1,000 cars. I don't think I'd attempt to try this stunt. Or we, we, we owe this horsepower to Uncle Sam. Too many cars. car. You know, roses would be... Uh... Like I put my beer belly on it. Yeah. And you can't immediately tell somebody how many cars you have. You'll really give those uppity yuppies something to think about. Stay on the bar. Don't go yeah. off the bar with your Bronco. 1980 Volvo horns. What's right? Me, me. I want a man's coolant. <laughs> He's like, oh, I thought it'd be small. It's for a small car. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's still an automatic transmission. They're never going to be light. It's definitely going to have to crash. Starting off with Brad buying another car. That's the West. <laughs> Internet. You know, is this a Nigerian oil print? Uh, I also wish you drove a tan Camry. Anyways, anyway, that, that's har- a horrible, very horrible podcast content. Very inside joke. They'd love to be driven hard. Welcome to Auto Off Topic. What's up, Brad? Not too much, Andrew. How you been over these past three weeks with no shows? Uh, I've been pretty good. Um, yeah, I just got my computer back. It was uh, it jumped time like your Eclipse. So uh, was that? Are you calling me out because the Eclipse isn't fixed yet? No, I'm just saying I had a a computer breakdown. It was uh. This computer is from 2013, which doesn't feel that long ago, but, uh, you know, it's uh, 11 years old. Say it's it's, 20 uh, years newer than the Eclipse. Listen, in the grand scheme of computer life, 11 years old is pretty old. Yeah, no, it's definitely not I a. Uh, it's definitely not normal to use one computer for eleven years anymore. So it's probably due to the fact that it's not a Windows machine. I'm sure. Yeah, apparently Apple built these Macs a lot nicer. Um, it's a 27 inch iMac, which they don't, and it's the widescreen Retina display, which they don't make anymore. Like if you buy an iMac now, it's only 24 inch screen, and it's like a square. It like looks like the original ones from like before this one. And everybody's like, that's really annoying because I really like these ones. So I was like looking. Uh, I was going to buy another Mac because I was like, well, I got 10 years out of this one. Uh, I don't mind spending $1,500 on it because it's going to last 10 years. Uh, but I'd have to buy like to get the same performance or better performance. I'd have to buy like the little Mac mini thing now that's like a little cube and then a separate display and i was doing all that research and i was like yeah it's gonna be like two grand cool annoying uh and then everybody's like especially on the discord like it probably needs a hard drive swap and i was like okay so i looked into that and apparently these have you know an old school hard drive that spins uh and in the last 10 years everything's gone to solid state drives and you can do a conversion to these. And the conversion's like 200 bucks. So I'm like, all right, let me look into that. Uh, but the front of these Macs is basically solid glass. And you have to remove that glass uh, by breaking, or not breaking, by cutting the adhesive. So I likened it to 
trying to remove a windshield from a car without breaking it, which is possible, but extremely difficult. Like sometimes people do it when they're doing restorations and they want to save the glass, right? Sure. Because normally when you need a windshield, they just, if, if it breaks when it's coming out, it's whatever. And I was like, well, I really don't want to do that. Uh, so then come to find out this guy that uh, back in May, I went to the Salem High car show uh, and I had the Talon. And I think when I was looking up stuff after the show, this person had a picture of it and it was like, uh, oh my gosh, what's his username? It's like Andy computer tech or something. <laughs> I don't think he listens. So, okay. But, um, he owns Andy, the Salem tech guy. And, uh, he like had a picture of my talent cause he liked it. He's the guys around our age. So he's into those cars. But anyway, um, come to find out. I was posting about how I loved this machine on, on like threads or something. And he was like, yo, you can just like replace the hard drive um, and I can do it right at my store because he has a store in Salem. So shout out to Salem Texperts. Uh, it took a few weeks because the thing was having a lot of trouble. They're trying to port over like the original software and stuff. And it was like being really difficult because the hard drive was really, really bad and failing. That's why it like shut down on me mid podcast one time or whatever. Um. But like for three hundred bucks, they fixed it for me. Oh, that's totally worth it. So, yeah, um, and I didn't have to worry about uh, gaining the skills to remove the glass without breaking it. So, yeah, it's totally and worth it three hundred bucks. Be... Saved you seventeen hundred dollars that way. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't throw away a computer. Nope. Because I was trying to figure out a way to. Because the screen is really nice. Like there are ways I could have bought a converter for like 70 bucks to like use this as just a screen. Okay. But it's weird that it, the new ones have a it. square shape. Like because everything is in like a widescreen wide format now. That's so strange. It, it Come to find out people really love this model machine. I, I didn't know it at the time. Like I just bought a decent machine. Well, at, at the time it like was I, all you could buy. Like it's, it's not like you tried to buy something super special. It was just that, that was the Mac at the time, right? Like, but you got in at the right time. I mean, the things like it's all aluminum, it's glass. It was funny. I, I kept the bot. It's that really like millennial thing of like keeping boxes or stuff. That's like a meme. Okay. I had, I still had the box and I was like, yes. So like, cause it's a super awkward shape to like transport. So I could, I had all the styrofoam in the box to like bring it. And I forgot this thing's like 40 pounds. Like it's super heavy. Oh, it's the whole computer inside the monitor. So it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. I I literally like a a Ram update. (laughs) I literally just threw away an Xbox 360 box. So I get it. Yeah. Right. I, I, it's like, I I don't know. I still have like iPhone boxes. (laughs) Like what do I do with them? Throw them in the trash. But I don't know. It's yeah, but it's like uh, like I kept my camera box because like if I need to have it serviced and I got to mail it back to Canon or whoever's going to service it, 
It's like, I need a good box for it. I don't know. Just throw a label on it and drop it in the mailbox. No box needed. It's fine. Yeah. But so anyway, anyway that's we're back. Why we were. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we're back. Uh, computer seems to be running great. It's seems super fast. Seems I, I think it's faster than it definitely starts up faster and it gets through programs faster. So it was having a hard time. Well, when I was doing editing. I'll tell you that on doing photo editing so. on my end, the machine that I've been using since I moved out here uh, now says uh, battery not good. Throw in trash by new. So I've never seen that message before, but it seems to stay working if I leave it plugged in. So I'm not going to stress too much about it right now, but it seems like I may have an issue in the future, too. And the funny thing is, is that I did buy a new machine for doing the podcast. And it won't work with the blue snowball mic for some reason. So that is really weird. Yeah. Because it's just a USB mic. Yep. Should be very simple, but I'm sure I'll. I'll and there's I should no probably, drivers? No. Doesn't seem to have any drivers. It seems to be something that just doesn't work right. So I, I should probably dig deeper into that because this machine here is also damn near 11 years old. So, and it's not a Mac. So it's not nearly as good. <laughs> At that time. I mean, it was a good computer well, when I've it was gotten, new, but... I mean, it's like we don't throw away old cars for the most part. Sure. So it's like I'm, I'm getting to the point. It's like we got to stop throwing things away if we can fix them. I mean, that's always kind of been, you know, it's our, our mantra. Like, try to fix something first before you throw it away. Yeah. Some stuff, unfortunately, is just not you're not able to anymore and just you have to throw it away. It's not but serviceable. Some stuff is. And even non-serviceable stuff, once enough time has gone, people have figured it out. You know, it's, it's, a, it's that's a whole conversation yeah. people have had about cars since the dawn of fuel injection. Like, oh, these cars are not serviceable. But you know what? Guess what? They are. You know, when LED taillights first started coming out, people were like, what happens if it goes out? You can't fix it. Well, guess what? You can so, I mean, just my, the Eclipse, when I was having that running problem before, I mailed out my ECU to somebody to rebuild it. Like, 20 years ago, rebuilding an ECU was still like a lost art. You just found another good one. So, it's things change, and things can be repaired, and if something's worth holding on to, it's worth holding on to. You know, it's it's not obsolete if you can update it. But, yeah, I don't know how old this machine is exactly, but I should try to figure out something. So, it's getting up there. Okay, just as we were talking about how everything was great, uh, Zencaster crashed on us. So <laughs> it did, but it's also my fault because my microphone was not plugged in fully. Some things are better, some things are the same. It is what it is. So anyway, um, I think we're going to end up talking about what we did. We're we we've been doing some. We had some events to do, so. Yeah, we basically said that we didn't waste our three weeks of no recording because we did some cool stuff. I mean, for me, there was like two weeks of doing nothing, but uh, this last week. But it culminated in some cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, uh, we went to the Rolex 24. Uh, we talked about going there. So uh, it's Friday night. A week ago, uh, last Friday night, we were in Daytona watching the BMW M Challenge race. Yeah, it's the Michelin Sports Michelin Pilot Cup. Pilot Cup or Sports Car, Pilot or sports car Series. Yeah. 
casual motorsports enjoyers. I don't uh, obsess over the details of stuff sometimes. Uh, no, I think the classes are TC for touring car. Yep. And GS mm-hmm. for Grand Sport, maybe? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that Hyundai, to jump right into it, had gotten so goddamn cool that they were running touring car Sonatas. Yeah. And they remind me very much of like 90s touring cars, and they're super rad, and I'm super down with them now. Mm Mm-hmm. Hyundai N is really rad. Um, It's very, very cool. But anyway, we'll get to that. Daytona itself. Yeah. I have been to the track before. Mm Mm-hmm. A lifetime ago. So when was the last time you think you were at the 500? 1997 seems to be what I remember as the last Daytona 500 that I went to. Because I know I was there before Dale Earnhardt had ever won the event. And I think it was the year before. And if memory is correct... He won in 98. That sounds correct. I I believe you're right. Yeah. So I was there in 97 was the last time. And I think it was a Jeff Gordon win. Mm -hmm. These are my best memories. I don't. If it was 96, maybe it's 96, but I'm pretty sure it was 97. I know I was in high school. Those sound right. I know I flew down there with my father for, for a whirlwind weekend. I think we like we landed, went to the race. Maybe stayed one night in a hotel and came home. I'm pretty sure is what happened. Um, it was different then, that's for sure. The facility was significantly less modernized. Yeah. From what I could see. Because when you go to a NASCAR race and you have a single NASCAR ticket, you don't have the same access that you have as a Rolex 24 ticket holder. Um, and that was probably the thing I noticed more than anything was the amount of access you have as a Daytona 24 ticket holder. Yeah. It's pretty much unlimited. It's pretty awesome. Like, I, I think you said it best, honestly, Andrew. You're like, yeah, you just kind of go anywhere you want until somebody says you can't be here. Exactly. And with NASCAR, it's more like go to your seat, go to the concession stand, go to the bathroom, go back to your seat. So having full reign of the track was just wild. Growing up a NASCAR fan, and honestly, I didn't know what touring car racing or sports car racing really was as a kid, just because it wasn't, it wasn't covered anywhere. You know, there was no, there wasn't any coverage on TV. There wasn't, you know, I, I had knowledge of it from reading magazines, but just it wasn't really in my main interest, which is weird now that because it is so much of a main interest. But at the time, I just didn't know. So I didn't know you could have this access. I, I don't know what it would have been like to go to the Daytona 24 in 1997. Maybe it would have been similar to what it's like now. But to, to what it's like for me going there to that race now after growing up going there in NASCAR events was just mind-boggling. Yeah. I've, I've never been there for NASCAR race. Um, luckily, we're, I'm going in two weeks. Um, but... It's like, I think the, the appeal of IMSA, and this is this is how they market it, is that you do have the access. And sure. uh, for a four-day ticket, it was 
$140. Yeah, which is probably half of a NASCAR one four-hour ticket. Yeah. So you could do, if we were there on Thursday, we'd have gone and see stuff on Thursday. But you can go Thursday through Sunday. Uh, If you've got children, children under 12 are free, which is a bonus. Um, Amazing. And... Because once they're 12, they can buy their own ticket. Yeah. But still, if you've got a couple of kids, like, that adds up buying tickets, right? Oh, it, it does. I mean, it, it adds up going to the movies with kids, let alone yeah. going to a week-long racing event. Like, yeah. That's that's a really cool bonus. And so, and the other cool thing is, like, Daytona is such a weird track because everything built up around it. Like, I'm sure when they built it in the 50s, there was nothing really out there. Sure. Um, but it's so developed that you're in a city, which is interesting because it's that. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Every Everybody's other fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like unlike every other racetrack you ever go to, which is out in the middle of nowhere. Unless it's a street. Course. Yeah, it's everybody is talking about, you know, Laguna Seca right now because the, the neighborhood committee is suing them to shut it down when the racetrack pre-existed there, obviously. But like we went to Daytona this past week and you can certainly hear race cars from the street. It's not quiet by any means, but there's just commerce and apartments and everything all around it. And nobody cares. But and that's the I'm, way it should be because the racetrack was there first. And well, it is in the heart of like the, the speedway built that town. Right. So. Um, oh, for sure. But also, we were there on an unmuffled day, right? So if they're just doing a track day there, I'm sure they have a decibel limit. You probably can't even I'm hear sure. the cars inside. I'm sure. I mean, and and to to that point, you know, we we took some time. You know, it's a 24 hour race, so while the race is going on, your tickets allow you to come and go as you please. And rather than eat track food all weekend, we did. You know, um, we did spend some time in the local restaurants around the racetrack. And, you know, you're right across the street in a parking lot of a restaurant and you can hear the cars still. It's just it's in the background. But then when you go in the restaurant, you can't hear the cars. So nope, it's fine. It's not that big a deal. Um, it was a good little it was that, that was kind of neat, too. I mean, as far as the experience goes, like. You wouldn't leave a NASCAR race and go have dinner like because <laughs> the race no. is only four hours long. But in a 24 hour race, like, yeah, you need to take that little break and walk across the street and. It's Florida, so unfortunately, visit the chain restaurant across the street. But it was uh, it was definitely an experience for sure. But it's nice though because you don't usually have that opportunity when you're at a racetrack. Is out in the middle of nowhere. You've either brought your own food or you're eating racetrack food. That's so, a valid point too. I so, didn't think about that. So from like a spectator, like that's why I like going. I've now done this twice. I'm like, I'll probably go not every year, but every few years, I'm gonna go. Because it's just a fun, different experience. Yeah, no, it's it's super cool. I mean, I've been to other IMSA events at other tracks. I've been to other sports car events. And I know the access that you get there. And I think it just it blew my mind because it's Daytona. Exactly. And I just assumed that Daytona was the rule of Daytona because it's Daytona. Not realizing what it was. Like, we did a track walk before the event on Saturday. Oh, morning. yeah. This is, I think, we, this might have been my favorite part. Yeah, like I've never, I never thought in my, beyond my wildest dreams that, 
and this might even sound like, you know, I'm fanboying up here and to somebody who's maybe a, a more recent racing fan doesn't think it's weird. But to me, to walk out onto the track, I I had goosebumps like when we crossed the the gate into the pit lane, walked out into the grass of the dry oval, climbed up the banking and like literally sat on the wall in the dry oval. And I it's I I don't have words for it. And I don't I don't know what it is or why it's so special because it's just a racetrack. They do track days there. You can go drive your car. But yeah, there was just something about it. Maybe because the crowd was there because I grew up watching the 500. I don't know. I just I couldn't. It was it was a, an emotional experience. That's that's well, all I can really say. Like for me, you know, racetracks are holy places for me. Sure. Because sure. there's so much history involved in them. I've, you've watched a ton of famous races there. There's been a ton of drama on that track. Uh, you know, yeah. All my childhood heroes were became heroes there. <laughs> yep. So you know, anytime you go to a racetrack, it's like really, really cool. Especially older ones that have a ton of history. Like, you know, we're spoiled here. Well, you don't live when you lived here. <laughs> we're spoiled with Lime Rock. Lime Rock is a super historical racetrack. And, uh, but I've been there so much that it almost seems less special. Than yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the we, home we track. Got spoiled by it. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, even like, uh, I think the next, I'm, I'm already thinking next year, um, instead of Daytona, I think I want to try Sebring again. Sure. Cause it's, but that's a little bit of a different, and that's a, that's a slightly different vibe because it is a little further out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it's only 12 hours. But, also, the weather this weekend, uh, this past weekend at Daytona was really good compared to the last time I went. That was raining and cold. The weather was gorgeous right. it was in the 80s. Like it was, I mean, it was maybe dipped in the 70s at night. Like, yeah, so it was, it was spectacular. Yeah. The party atmosphere existed too, I guess. I was told, like, I was like, this did, because when I went in 17, it felt very like deserted, but it was cold and rainy and there just wasn't many people around. And then come to find out, this past weekend, 2024, was the highest attendance ever. Um, yes, it was a record for sure. Which, again, uh, that also happened at Lime Rock this past year for IMSA. And unfortunately, it was the last one for a little bit. They're talking about coming back, hopefully. But I again, and, and we've talked about it on this podcast, and it, I've talked about it with other people that are friends with ours that listen to this podcast. I think it's the Drive to Survive F1 effect of people looking for other motorsports that are more affordable to go watch. Um, but it's cool. It's good that racing is so popular. I'm really happy. No, it's awesome. I, uh, I, I, I can't, I, there, there was a time late nineties, early two thousands where it seemed like there was some waning popularity. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the attendance was at Daytona this weekend, but it was over 200,000 for sure. Um, and that's a lot of people. <laughs> it was packed. Yeah, that's a lot of people. I'm sure, but everybody spread out, but so it doesn't feel too bad. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Like it, it was. It, I never felt like a sardine, you know, sardine I'm, can. Like it never I'm felt sure tight, never claustrophobic. That when I go for the 500, it's going to be crazy. Like way more people. But because you're also you're all there for a certain amount of time. Yeah. So you're all getting there at the same time, leaving at the same time. Yeah. But the, the facility is so is set up so well, it's set up to handle a ton of people. 
It, it it is. You don't even you don't even notice. I'm trying to find right now what the number of people was, but I think it's, it's be funny huge. because they actually consider it a, a stadium. It's like two and a half mile around stadium. Yeah, it's like one of the largest stadiums in the country. So it'll be so what it'll be crazy to me. I'm I'm gonna be really interested to compare when I go to the Daytona 500 and then when I go with you guys to the Indy 500. Let's see how that compares. Uh, the Indy 500, I mean, I went last year and said it was like, you know, the greatest sporting event I've ever been to. Um, this was up there. This was up there. Same yeah, kind of you, emotional. You, you were saying, uh, you showed me where your seats were that you had. And we're at the top of the concourse. It was like section like 140 or something they didn't have any of those sections above at the time. No, the top section is new, I think. Yeah. So it's weird. There's no reporting of the attendance numbers. Yeah. They just had a post that said it was the most attended. Yeah. But so somebody knows. <laughs> yeah. They didn't actually post the number. Yeah. How many people are there? So, yeah, I, I love, I don't know. I love the, the you know, the place has good vibes. It's just like, it's so cool. It's so big. It's so historical. Um, we met up with some people that we know, so it was cool. Okay, so 200,000 was a lot. It's not that many. Uh, 65,000 seems to be the number I'm seeing. That's so. a lot of people for uh, an endurance race. It's a lot of people. That's so many people. But now I'm curious what the Daytona... Uh, 500 attendances in comparison because that's going to make a difference of you know how it feels in the tracks okay Daytona is a hundred and one thousand people yeah so that makes that's, sense that's a lot so the the access we had I actually we were able to go up way up in the stands okay and let found me, the let seats me, that I have let me rephrase that that was in 2020 with okay. all the new stands it is now 150,000 whoa yeah <laughs> so and i am there's going to be almost three times as many people there for the 500 our seats are way up there but they're yep they have a good they have a great view though you can see the whole track well that's the funny thing about about racing like y- you watch a basketball game right and the most mm-hmm. expensive seats where all the celebrities sit are right courtside because mm-hmm. you want to be there in the action and, and see the game at a racing event the further away the seats are the more expensive they are because you have a view of the whole racetrack that way. So that's a, a difference in the sport. Like you're like, Oh, you get nosebleed seats. Like, yeah, I do. And I'm stoked. <laughs> like those yeah. are the best seats to have. Like we, we went to your seats and they're, what were they section? They, the numbers. It was four. So I think they're technically they're four stories. It's more than four stories, but it's the fourth section of seats. Yeah, but I don't know how else to describe yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, if it was the fourth floor of the building. It'd be the fourth story. So you 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 basically need uh, to bring an oxygen tank because you're that high in the air. So that's fine. No, it it uh, it looks your, your seats are going to be great for the race because you can see the whole track. There's no blind spots. No, so it's going to be amazing and. To, to bring back to my point about it being a different place now than it was in the 90s when I was last there, which doesn't seem like it, but was 
30 plus years ago. Ugh. 30 years ago, 97, 20, yeah, almost 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's improved a lot. So it, we, we've, we have this conversation all the time because it makes us feel old, right? Like when the distance between then and now is like me having not been there from 1970 until 1997. <laughs> from me not going in 1997 until now. But right? I bet it didn't change so, that much in that time. But I'm just saying, like, I was there in 1997. Imagine being there in 1970 and seeing the actual, you know, sh- still street-based stock cars out there. Like, I bet. Because uh, we went through the museum. What was it, built in 56? The racetrack started to be assembled in the late 50s. I think the first race was 58. So... I bet it remained relatively unchanged until the 90s because the late 90s is the 50th anniversary of NASCAR. So 98. Yep. After then, that is when the popular NASCAR like truly exploded. Sure. And when tracks started to get really big and add a lot of stands. Yeah. And then we, we have the waning years that happened sort of in the late, like after 2010. The late aughts. Yeah. It was kind of like, eh. It kind of stunk. And then now I think car they're back. Car tomorrow. Yeah, I think now they're back with the next-gen car. It's, it's a lot better. Which, I mean, if not, attendance not to is jump ahead too much, thousand people. Yeah, yeah, not to jump ahead too much, but yeah, the, the Bush Clash is Sunday, so yep, at the Coliseum. Sure. So anyway, to go back to my point was that between 97 and 2024, a lot has happened there. Yeah. Uh, I... Uh, one of the things that I remember specifically about going there is all of the stairs that I had to climb to get to my mm-hmm. seats. And now there's escalators everywhere. Yeah. Like there's what four different sets of escalators yeah. that go all the way from the bottom floor, all the way to that top, you know, nosebleed section that we were just talking about. That wasn't yeah. there before. No, uh, something as simple as, as using the, using the bathroom. It used to be damn near impossible. And, you literally had like pee troughs. Like you didn't have individual urinals. It was just a pee trough, which still exists there, but only on the bottom floor and everything up high now is like a modern style bathroom. And all the concessions are fairly modern looking. And actually they weren't even that expensive compared to like outside food, which yeah. maybe is due to the fact that there is outside food available across the way. So they, they, they know that if they charge you, $28 for a cheeseburger, you're probably just going to go across the street and get a, a normal restaurant for half the price, right? Yeah. So, insane. I mean, it's it's crazy how much it's changed. So, it, it, it truly feels, you know, cliche to say it, but it truly feels like a world-class facility now, whereas before it just felt like a really big Saturday night short track <laughs> kind of yeah, setup. it's... It's cool. Uh, you know, I I definitely recommend the Rolex 24, even if you're not the hugest endurance racing fan, just to experience it. If you're a car person at all and you enjoy cars, you can have a good time there. You don't have to be, you know, following the, the tour, its whole event and its whole season and know what's going on. Like, just to be there is cool. Like, I, I it's hard to explain. Like, at that uh, Saturday night when it was getting dark at the dinner, you know, we went back to the track and we were standing on top of the garage with a friend of ours. 
and just watching the action go on down in the garage, like watching the car come in on the tow truck and then get picked up off the back of the flatbed and put down on the ground and, and pushed into the garage area and just the whole, like the TV crew coming up and seeing the Fox sports guys and the NBC sports guys and seeing all the fans that were down below kind of in the way getting, you know, pushed and shoved out of the way. So the damaged race car can come in. Like it was just the atmosphere is, is crazy. And then, standing on top of the garage and watching the, the 10 PM fireworks go off on the other side of the, the Daytona 500, sorry, the the Daytona international speedway Ferris wheel. that's set up there. Like I've seen so many pictures of the cars, you know, blasting by the Ferris wheel at night and to to be there and to see the Ferris wheel and to see the fireworks over there was, was really cool. So, I mean, unfortunately the fireworks happened during a yellow flag caution, but period, but that's okay. The only thing you can't, get a good view of is the Lama chicane aka bus stop yep otherwise yeah, everything else just, you can have a pretty good view of it's in kind of a dead zone of the track which is unfortunate because passing does happen back there action does happen there yeah i feel like they need like little ferry boats that do little tours out on lake lloyd to like bring you out there yeah i wonder why they don't do that like almost like a swan boat kind of deal yeah i'm thinking a little bit bigger than that like a like a flat part, like a party boat type thing. Party barge, like a, yeah, a double decker. That's, that's that's interesting. I know I know they used to. I don't know if they still do, but they used to do like drag boat racing out there on Lake Lloyd. Um, yeah, so weird. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Uh, what else? I mean, oh, there's I like, like the racetrack's so big. There's a lake in it. Like, yeah, <laughs> do you don't think about there's that? that. Uh, I don't even want to talk about the race yet. We're, there's like all the stuff. Uh, they had all the historic historic cars on display. There was a full, like this, like full on, like, almost concourse looking display of historic race cars, and yep. it was some amazing stuff in there. You know the the IMSA GTU, like eighty eight, eighty nine RX seven, the white mm-hmm. and blue FC car. Like, oh, what a cool car! Didn't know I'd ever see that. We saw the Garage fifty six NASCAR car from Le Mans was there yep. in as raced condition, like they hadn't even washed it. Just mind boggling stuff. So cool. The, the Hawaiian Tropic Porsche 934. Was it the Hawaiian Tropic um, or was it the Jägermeister? There was two. Ye- oh, that's right. That's right, too. It was the Jägermeister car. Mm-hmm. There was no Hawaiian. I don't remember now. No, there was no Hawaiian Tropic. I remember Tropic seeing there. a Kremer 934 and going, oh, that's so cool. I think they were both Jäger cars. So cool. It, w- it was really cool. And um, they had that. What else they have? I mean, the manufacturers all bring their own little midways. And they give away yeah. stuff. And I mean, if, if you wanted to wait in lines and fill out surveys, you could have walked away with like six free event t-shirts. Mm-hmm. I yeah. kind of regret not getting the Cadillac racing t-shirt because it was kind of neat. Yeah. So, but. yeah, we anyway, the race started at one thirty on Saturday. Yes, and went till one thirty or one twenty nine on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, and there were two uh, Jägermeister man. cars and a Brumos car. That was yep. the other one. The uh, it's cool because they do like a staggered start of the two classes, like the uh, GTP cars, LMP two, and then all the sports cars behind them. But um, 
man, the GTP cars so fast. Yeah, it's it's silly how much faster they are, especially on the banking and the backstretch. It's mm-hmm. it's almost comical watching them pass. It's they're so fast. Yep. The, the uh, first place car had lapped the entire field by what the sixth lap, or was at least starting to lap the field by the sixth lap. It shouldn't say lap the entire field, but he was starting to lap the sports cars by lap six. Yeah, the slower the sports cars. Yeah, definitely. Yep, insane. So LMP two cars, I'm kind of like, uh, they feel like a little bit they of liability sometimes. Yeah, they crash yeah. a lot. It's better than when they were when they're open cockpit. It felt like it was even worse. Like they're even more crashy. Well, but. I was looking at the names of the drivers, and the issue with the LMP2 class is that it's a lot of buy your way into a seat drivers, like just a rich guy that has a sports car racing fantasy, um, which putting them out there with less skill into the amount of mixing it up with these skilled drivers becomes kind of an issue. Um, but there were a lot of professional professionals in the LMP2 cars this year, which I think helped. Um, there was one particular LMP2 car, which you should love automatically because it was painted like an American flag. Go Team America, right? But the car kept crashing and it was annoying and I wanted it off the track. <laughs> I think it caused three of the full course yellows. Yeah, I'm trying to think of so, which... LMP car messed up and then they Vassar Sullivan Lexus like just absolutely obliterated it. Yeah, I don't remember which car that was. It was not the red, white, and blue one, but it was definitely. It was like, uh, like I yeah. felt so bad for the Lexus because it was like he had nowhere to go. It was just like in front of no. him. And he just, no, just, it was, yeah, just bulldozed it. And that car was, was like, was a, yeah, there was a car it doing one eighth its speed in front of it. Yeah, we're we're like I think we're like ten minutes in, fifteen minutes in, and they had to bring that in for like a full rebuild. Yep, that yeah, wasn't good. Bad start, bad start. But it is what it is. It's part of racing, right? Yeah, that's and, how it goes. Who knows? Goes. Maybe a professional driver could have done the same thing. But you, know, a, a lot of the sports car racing is like that too. It's just rich guys that buy a seat in a race car. So it's not. It's not simply a Daytona 24 thing. It's it's in it's a racing in general thing. So, well, the difference between the two sports car classes is how many professional drivers you have. Yes, GT gold and silver, and whatever GTD it is. Pro, yeah. So pro is obviously professional but drivers more and less. They amateurs. the sports cars feel less crashy. For whatever reason, maybe they're more forgiving. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. The LMP2 cars, I think one of the issues with the LMP2 cars is that it's it's almost like a spec car. It so is. when you have spec cars, they're going to run pretty close speeds. So they're going to be closer together and competing more. And when you have vehicles closer together and less skilled drivers, then you're going to wind up having more impacts and, and, and issues. So They're also just like boring. Probably because they're a spec car for 24 hours. Yeah. And not driven by full pros all the time. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fine. It, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. It's part of the game, I guess. There's always going to be that rich guy race class. So it helps build the field out. So we'll let it last. But it's, I'm really into the Cadillacs. 
uh they sound really good they yeah, the one like thing NASCAR's. I was disappointed in was I was hoping to be able to hear the changeover when they go from electric to gas, but you couldn't really notice it pulling out of the pits because you couldn't really hear it properly. No. So when you see them, when you see them on TV, they make it a point to show you that that changeover. I was hoping to hear that in person, but I did not. So, but that's cool. It was still, it was still amazing. And the, the debut of the GTD Mustangs happened this weekend. Yep. Yeah, those were rad to watch out there. I forgot about that. Yeah, um, super cool cars. I used our handheld recorder here, so I've got like some recordings of the race. I'll I'll put it Excellent. at the end of the podcast. Perfect. So if you hang on till the end, you can have like two minutes of race car noises, and you can definitely hear uh, repeat the Corvettes go by. Over and over uh, sorry, the uh, for twenty for twenty four hours. <laughs> it's actually two minutes and forty seconds. I, I didn't do that intentionally, but. I'll let you think I did. Um, uh, yeah, you can hear when the Cadillacs go by. Like the, there's the the V8 is definitely noticeable. Yeah, they're they're a lot more bassy. Yeah, for sure. It's funny because when the V8 sports cars go by, like the I think is the Aston Martin a V8. It yeah, must be. It almost sounds like it's not racing. You know, because the the higher strung, you know, four cylinder, six cylinder cars, they're revving out much higher. And then the Aston Martin goes by and it's like, it just sounds like it's cruising past at half throttle, even though it's obviously flat out down the back stretch. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting hearing all the different cars out on track. And, you know, the people I've told about it are still like, wait, you did that for 24 hours? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we watched a race for 24 hours. Like you. Go for an hour and leave? No, we were there for 24 hours. We spent, what, an hour and a half maybe taking a power nap in the car? Other than that, we watched the race. I think you made it You made it a little longer than me. I think I, I think I did like 20 hours, and I think you did like 22 hours. So the, ish, the biggest issue was I was going to try to make it without taking a nap. Yeah. And I was doing good. Um, our other three friends had a tighter schedule because they were flying out after the race on Sunday. Um, and they went back to the hotel and they spent a few hours sleeping. And I was like, nah, listen, I'm here. It's my first time. You know, I'm going to do this every weekend. I'm going to try to go full 24 hours. No, no, no sleeping. And I always going pretty well. And then you were like, man, I need to go shut my eyes for a few. So you went off to the parking lot to go like nap in the car. And I was like, nah, I got this. I'm good. But then being by myself, sitting out like in between turn three and four, I was sitting on the grass watching the cars go by. And then all of a sudden I was like, it was almost like the, a lull of the, from the cars going yeah. by. Like it started to like put me to sleep because I was out there by myself with nobody to talk to. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep right here. 30 feet from uncorked race cars in the racetrack because it's just the repetitiveness of the sound is getting me. I'm going to start to walk around. So I got up to walk around and I was like, who am I kidding? I should just go at least lay down and try to close my eyes for a few minutes at least. So I, I didn't make it once I was by myself, I think was the issue. Yeah. So, well, when Stephanie and I were at Petit Le Mans, actually, let, before, before you get into that, before yeah. you get into that, the other issue was it was about, 1 a.m. at this point. Yeah. When I started to like have that feeling, and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk to the infield. I'm going to get some food, maybe get a drink, and then, you know, revitalize myself. 
and I went to the infield area to get food and all of the vendors closed at one. Yeah. So I couldn't get any food. Then I was like, damn, now I'm screwed. I'm going to have to go lay down for a little bit. But it kind of blew my mind that the vendors closed. Well, I think it's like I said, I think it's like last call at a bar. I, I was looking up a lot of the places around close at like 1 a.m. So it's like, yeah, they just go by those rules probably. Yeah, I was like, man, they hear the race happens once. Like, just stay open all night, man. But I guess maybe it is some kind of well, maybe uh, also the people working need a break, Brad. Well, yeah, but they can have shifts. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I just, it just, I didn't expect food and beverage places to close. I didn't necessarily need a a, a boozy drink. I mean, I would have been fine with a, a, a coffee. Would have been my plan, coffee or a tea or something with caffeine in it, but. Unfortunately, there was nowhere to get anything. So back to the car I went because we had food and beverage in the car. But when I got back to the car, I was like, nah, I'm just going to lay down for a bit. So it's fine. It also didn't help that when I got to the car, the track was under yellow. So I was like, ah, I'll just take a nap through the yellow. Yeah. Um, hour and a half later. That's fine. Anyway, you and Stephanie at Petit Lama. We took a nap like for like an hour in the middle of that race on the grass next to the racetrack in the S's. Sure. Cause I don't Why know. You have, sometimes you have your earplugs in. It's a little dull and it's just like white noise. Strangely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking that it was when I was sitting next to the track. I was like, it's kind of, it was kind of lulling me to sleep. Just that the repetitive every plus we second or two a car goes by. We had walked over into the camping area and there was way less people over there. Yep. And there's just like an open grass area. Oh, so that was the other thing. Uh, they were filming for the Brad Pitt race car F1 movie during this race. F1 movie? It's, yeah, it has to do with F1. So is this like he's learning how to become a race car driver? Because Maybe. They were filming, so, the movie's called Apex. Yeah, so supposedly Brad Pitt is an older race car driver that's teaching a newer race car driver. Is it Gran Turismo movie? I don't know. Sounds like it. <laughs> um, and the the movie car was a GTD Porsche. Yeah. With a peak antifreeze sponsorship. Yeah. So random. Yeah. Like and a then NASCAR looking car. Yeah. Uh, and then like where we had sat down, they had a, like a fake movie campsite which is weird (laughs) trying to figure that out you're like what is going on in this little campsite area over here why are there all these weird lights like (laughs) oh they're filming a movie yeah brad pitt was not there though unfortunately no we didn't get to meet any celebrities if there were any celebrities in that little scene i didn't recognize them but i will look for that scene in the movie and be like i know what that was i was right there (laughs) that's turn four daytona so yeah, there's a, a it's a GTD Porsche 911 with a peak uh, antifreeze livery. It was participating in the race, but not not racing. No, racing. they made it the whole thing. But like I, because at one point in the night, both cars were parked in the garage area. Yeah, I don't know, but it, they made it the whole night. Like I saw a post. But maybe the actual race team because they had like fake, I think a fake race team on the transporter. 
Oh, were they, so there were more cars just in the garage area? Maybe, maybe that's what it was. They weren't the actual race cars. Who knows? I don't know. I, I don't know how movies are made, like, exactly. It's kind of a mystery sometimes. Yeah. I just watch them. <laughs> but, it was very uh, um, Days of Thunder vibes. Putting actual, putting r- film cars out in the actual so, race. Yeah, and speaking of that, Jay Bruckheimer was the Grand Marshal. Oh, that's right, too. He was. Actually, isn't he directing? Is he directing the Apex movie, too? Oh, I don't know. I thought that was the connection. Maybe I'm completely off base, but I thought that was why he was there. Uh, it might be. I, I don't know. I don't know enough to dispute that. I'm not I, I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to go on record with that. So I could be wrong. I mean, I am on record, but I'm not going to sit there and say that that was definitely definitely what's happening. So, yeah, I mean, we were there. I, I tried to give you the whole layout and and show you all the different spots you can see from. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I had, I had a great time. Uh, it's produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So, director Joseph Kaczynski, producer Jerry Bruckheimer, Brad Pitt, and Lewis Hamilton. Yep. So uh, we did what I did. Um, in 2017, which was parked in a lot four, which is over by turn four. Yep. Makes sense. And we walked through the turn four tunnel a bunch of times. Which is also really cool. And that turn four tunnel has been there since the track was built. Like that tunnel we walked through, that corrugated pipe was the original pipe. Yeah. It's never been changed. Super cool. So, I mean, it's like, these are my churches. This is yeah. my yeah. Notre Dame. No, it's, it's, it almost sounds cheesy to say it, but yes, it is. It's the, the Church of Speed, right? Yeah. I always said I wanted to buy an old church and uh, create my own religion to dodge taxes and park cars in. But this actually <laughs> is this actually is our our church. Like it's it happens on Sundays a lot, and uh, yeah, I get emotional feelings about it. So, so I, you know, the race itself was was pretty good i mean it was a great race and we went up to the stands we have to recap all 24 hours you can there's a nice uh imps has got some nice youtube videos that recap the whole thing there's there's but, a good so, like 40 minute long recap of the entire 24 hours you get all yeah. the good stuff so towards the end we went up to the stands for the last like hour and a half okay and um right by turn one so coming down the trial into the, the first turn there, because there's a ton of passing going on. It's a great passing zone. Um, and it was weird. Well, like the wheel and Cadillac was out leading for like a while. And yes. I'm like, oh, I guess maybe they'll win it. And then I think there was a caution. And the are we talking towards the very end, the last hour yeah. or so? I think the, the yeah. caution came out and the Porsche team got out ahead of the Cadillac in the pit lane. Yep. Um, Which is the same thing that happened the previous caution period and the Cadillac drove around the Porsche like it was sitting still. Yeah. And the Cadillac was starting to close and then the white flag came out and the Cadillac like dropped off. And uh, it was unclear what happened, but... To us in the stands, the race had gone 
24 hours. And then apparently it sure. went like a minute short. It went 23 hours, 58 minutes. So it came real close. Um, um, I, and, you know, there per was the rules, it didn't change anything. I From where I was standing, it didn't look like it was going to change anything. Everybody was so spread out. You know, they were, the Cadillac no... was catching, but I don't know what happened. Maybe they ran out of fuel or something. The Cadillac was or... catching, and then it, it fell off real hard. It wound up being a little over two seconds behind yeah. the Porsche in the end. So it wasn't going to make up that two seconds. No, and the, the third Porsche, place. The Porsche ran one of the fastest laps it had all day with like two laps left. Yeah. So there was no way. Third place is the Acura, and, I think. Yeah, the third place Acura was too far back to, to make a difference. Almost 15 seconds or so. Yeah. Maybe 12 seconds, something like that. So the a Penske car won, which apparently that was kind of cool because a Penske car apparently hadn't won since 1969. Correct. Which was interesting, too, because that is the car that won in 1969 is there's a giant Sunoco mural at the front of the racetrack. It's a Lola. Yeah, with Mark Donahue driving. So, yep. Yeah. Also, two drivers ran the entire 24 hours then. Not three. (laughs) Crazy to think about. So, yeah, it was neat. It was neat to see a Penske car out front as much as I wanted to see, you know, the Cadillac take the win. But it is what it is. No, that was, um, yeah, so that was really, really cool. Um, a really great time there. And um, I want to go some more endurance races. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm full in on it. I'm full in on the, it. Um, so. But while we're speaking of Daytona, um, did you watch any of the NASCAR, Daytona, uh, NASCAR uh, Netflix show? I've watched the first episode and a half. I've only watched the first episode. Which starts at Daytona in for the Coca-Cola 600, I believe. Yep. It's the, um, it's the first race of the playoffs. So that yes, five episodes and it only covers the playoffs of 2023. Yes. But when you were watching it, were you doing the thing like, oh, I was, I was just, just there. there. Like you, could, yeah. you knew where all the stuff was, right? A hundred percent. They're in the garages like, oh, I know where that is. Like, it's cool. Yeah, now. 100%. And I was, I was sitting next to, to Naomi and I was like, hey, remember when I told you I took the picture of the Acura on the flatbed? That's the garage right there. I was standing on top of it. Just like, oh, yeah. OK, yeah. <laughs> you doing the Leonardo DiCaprio, like pointing at the TV meme. Oh, 100 percent. The whole time. <laughs> Super excited about it, too. But I, like, again, that's that. Like you just said, that was our church. Like, it was so cool to be there. And it was so cool to just be watching it on TV again. And being like, I was just there. I was so excited. I was just there. I can't wait to like watch the Daytona 500 on TV and be like, see that right there? That's where Andrew and Stephanie are. Oh, and <laughs> so that was the other thing. During the fan walk, they let everybody sign the pit, the wall and they let people sign the start finish line. Yep. Uh, we threw an auto off topic sticker on there and one on the wall we up did. by the start finish line. So if you get a close enough shot of a car crossing the start finish line, look at the top of the Y for an auto off topic sticker. <laughs> I mean, I'd be surprised if it's still there, but we'll. I'm sure it's not there. I think they repaint the start finish yeah. line and the wall between the two races. Um, in fact, speaking of painting, there was a guy walking around with a white rattle can and a black rattle can and yeah. literally just spray painting the wall anytime somebody were anything offensive. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked him that what he was doing. And he's like, yeah, anytime anybody writes anything that's offensive or political, I spray over it. Fair enough. 
So yeah, it's easy, good enough rule for me. Keep it, uh, keep it fun. But it was so. it was funny watching the Netflix show. Even when they went, like Denny Hamlin goes to his trailer. I'm like, I recognize where that is too, because there was like there's like fancy trailer areas of mm-hmm. like. <laughs> yeah, when you walk out of the garage straight to Woods Turn Four to the tunnel, it was the yeah. fancy trailers on the right. There was a little guard sitting in the front of it all night. So, but yep, that's exactly where it was. Actually, I, uh, uh, Catherine Leg walked right in front of me, walking to her trailer when I was walking out of the car at nighttime. I was like, oh, that's Catherine Leg, one foot away from me. Nice. Neat. I'm oh, yeah, we saw Jordan Taylor walk in. Um, yep. Who else? That's all I recognized. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple people. I saw, I saw other people in racing suits, but I couldn't tell you who they are. Those are the only two that I saw that I actually recognized as famous racing drivers. And Michael Andretti. Did you see Michael Andretti? Yeah, we saw him. We were he was like around the garage when we were there. Oh. Because it's Wayne Taylor Racing Andretti Autosport. Sure. Sure. He uh, was busy getting ready to be rejected by F one. Crazy. Yeah, insane. So anyway, um, yeah, the NASCAR show. Uh it's basically drive to survive the Formula One. Netflix show, but for NASCAR, same production team, I'm pretty sure, also on Netflix. I think they're trying to get that same energy that the Drive to Survive series brought to the first event, episode is cool of the series. I am. I'm in, man. I, I've never listen. I've been a NASCAR fan most of my life. I, I during the, there was a time where I was kind of anti it, but I'm back. Um I've been I've known about it for years. I've known how everything works. I thought I learned things from this show. So it it's uh, I'm watching it with Stephanie, so it's helping her learn more about sure. what I'm talking Same. about. I, Naomi watched it with me as well. Um, like Stephanie um, didn't realize things. that. Uh, like I had, I was like, yes. Yeah, so and right, but right as I said it, then they started explaining it. I was like, yeah. So Hamlin is on the Joe Gibbs team. With Joe Gibbs' yep. great grandson, sure, but he owns the other team that has Bubba yeah. Wallace and Tyler Reddick, and is co-owner with Michael Jordan, right? Which is wild. So, which already feels also, like that is a good thing for a reality show, anyways, because there's like inherent drama there, yeah, and it's Michael Jordan <laughs> on top of yeah. it. Like that's going to bring in a whole another level of viewer that you didn't have because it's. People that like Michael Jordan. Uh, I, I didn't realize what a baller Denny Hamlin was. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize the man had a private jet and, you know, a huge compound on a lake with basically a hangar on property. Like, I didn't realize it was that level of of money in that man's life. But it explains why he owns a NASCAR team now. Yeah. He has to do something with his money. And I listen, didn't know. Uh, Hamlin's kind of a heel in the sport right now. But that also makes him that also makes him kind of neat because like everybody's hero is Dale Earnhardt, right? Yeah. And I mean, Hamlin's kind of the Earnhardt of today. Like he's a no apologies. I'm out here to race. I'm not out here to do anything, but like me or not, that's what I'm going to do. And I, I came away from the show with a little bit more of a respect for Hamlin than I had going into it. So. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked on this show. 
I mean, listen, we were we were well, we we shoved NASCAR down your face last year during the season. If this show sorry. happens now, it's gonna suck us in even more, and we're gonna be like half auto off topic, half NASCAR podcast. And I'm here for it. I'm sorry, I, you don't like it. I didn't realize Hamlin had 50 wins but no championship. Yep, it's crazy. That's right? that's a lot of wins to have. That's no, probably no why he's still racing. I don't think he wants to stop until he gets a championship. And, it's probably has to do with the modern era of the playoffs mm-hmm. because in, in an it older era where it was just by points, he would have won. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything kind of resets at the Coca-Cola 600. So, so, but it's, 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 it's good. And they, during that show, they, they show him recording an episode of his podcast, uh, actions detrimental. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I didn't know he had a podcast. I'll check that out. So I did, and I learned even more about NASCAR during that podcast. So I also mm. recommend listening to that. Um, one of the things I didn't know, I assumed if you made it to the Cup Series, you were set. Yeah. You were good. Like you were a couple seasons of the Cup Series and you can retire rich and be fine. But it's not true. Some of the lower level guys um, that, you know, are just there, like the uh give like Eric Jones and those those kind of guys out there those guys are like $150,000 a year employees yeah uh which while not an insignificant amount of money is certainly not private jet amount of money like Hamlin no. has and you're working your butt off for that kind of salary every day flying around the country doing different racetracks like it's not glamorous if you're you know making 150 grand a year no, or two hundred grand a year, or whatever the minimum the, salary is. You're what they call the the journeyman driver. Yeah, I I just I assumed that everybody out there was a multimillionaire. Um, I not, um. They're not. The other thing the show uh, remind me of was the priest crash. Like I forgot about that. Yeah, you know who didn't forget about that? Ryan Priest. Yeah, I mean, I thought the guy was dead. That was bad. We all did. But we all did. Anyway, I. Early. Um, enough about that. Enough about motorsports. <laughs> I mean, no, we could take a couple more minutes. Like, what? Watch the NASCAR show. It'll yep. it'll really make you respect Denny Hamlin more if you already don't. Um, one of the things that he talked about in his podcast was why he has so much coverage on the show, and yeah. he says that listen, he goes, the team producing the show are not racing fans; they're a production team. He goes, which is what makes the show different than any other NASCAR show there's been because they wanted to be a good TV show and they don't know nothing about NASCAR. They want to make a show that everybody wants to watch. So they had to pick drivers that they could talk to that they thought would be ones who would be standing on the final race. Cause you don't want to have all this coverage of a guy who's knocked out in the first round because yeah. you had to make this whole show about everybody. He's like, so, you know, they chose the drivers they wanted to talk to and, you know, I think it surprised everybody come the end of the season when all of a sudden it's Ryan Blaney who's winning the championship. And, uh-oh, you know, we don't have a ton of coverage of Ryan Blaney. So all of a sudden, the last couple of weeks of the season, they're scrambling to get more coverage of the guys that are going to be in, in, in the final four of the event. And it was it was funny to see them try to, like, shift as they went along. They needed to predict what happens as, as it hmm. goes on. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that progresses, too. But... I, I, I came away from it, like I said, with a lot more respect for, for Hamlin. I've already, I already liked Bubba. 
watching him in this was like, it made me like him even more. And I think one of the coolest things is it's really not edited. So the driver is just talking like normal humans and swearing and having normal conversations. And that's another thing that Hamlin talked about in his podcast where he was like, part of the reason there's so much footage of me is because I wanted to give them a good show. And I basically told them, I won't say no to anything you ask unless it makes me like super uncomfortable. Like as long as I'm fully clothed, I'm not going to say no to whatever you want to film. So that's what he did. And that's why there's so much coverage of Denny Hamlin because he allowed them to. So anyway, it's, it's, I, I think it was cool. And well, you clearly he's catch a, up in both things. a shrewd businessman <laughs> for Cause sure. Cause part of, for part sure. of being a race car driver is marketing. Yep. And, and that's salary, why he has, that's why he's a multimillionaire. Right. What's his salary? Take a guess yearly. Just not including his endorsements, just his actual racing salary. His actual racing salary? Yep. Like his base pay from like his, Joe Gibbs? His, his base pay from Joe Gibbs Racing. And this is not bearing in mind that lower level guys are less than 200 grand. Oh, I bet his base pay is like 200 grand. Nope. No? $11 million. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly. Oh, that's like that's NBA the, money. But yeah, but that's that's the difference between like a bench player in a professional ball sport and a yeah. LeBron James, right? It's that there's that huge gap that you don't realize watching the game because they all have to play the same level of commitment. And that's but, that's probably why he's he's you know buddies with Michael Jordan. Or you even watching that uh, that movie about the Air Jordan shoe, like I learned about Air. Uh, yeah, I learned all about um, you know the deals that they were they were making that Nike yeah, made. Yeah, sports marketing yeah. that literally changed how athletes were paid. Yep, which was kind of cool because yep. athletes were probably being underpaid for because yeah. people were undervaluing what they do. Was, I guess maybe maybe they are overvalued. They were, they were underpaid and now they're overpaid. Exactly. Yeah, I think Jordan has like four hundred million dollars a year of passive income right now, or something stupid like that. Like, yeah, insane. But yeah, no, Hamlin's base salary is eleven million dollars, and he's not even the that, highest paid driver in NASCAR. Do you notice that Hamlin had Air Jordans that were uh, the FedEx colors of his car? So he talks in his podcast. Um, he has an entire warehouse full of Jordans. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe not a warehouse, but like a room somewhere with mm. hundreds or thousands of, the show. of different Jordans. So crazy. One more anyway. thing, I didn't, I didn't realize that William Byron was a big sim kid. Yeah, he, that's where he came from. He did not come from like starting to drive at six years old in a go kart. He was a yeah. sim racer. He basically is the Gran Turismo story. Yeah, I didn't realize did, that. Did, didn't know that either. That also makes me respect him a little bit more. I'm still really salty that uh, Lionel canceled the one sixty fourth of his race car that he won at Watkins Glen with because I was there for sure. <laughs> Cause not enough people pre-ordered it because I'm sure he's not the most popular driver, but he is a Hendrick driver. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised it doesn't exist. I'm sure you can, I don't know, maybe it'll, maybe somebody will make the decal set and you can build a model of it. Yeah. I think I can get the one twenty fourth, which is what I'll probably have to do, but the one sixty fourth. but anyway, yeah. Moving on from um, sports. Yeah, let's talk about EV cars. Oh, God. We've lost our whole audience now. <laughs> so I 
I was like, I rent a lot through Hertz for work. So I think maybe I've talked about this. Just get the gold membership if you're going to rent through Hertz because it's free and it gives you perks. Sure. But anyway, unless it was unless like you're in Terminal C at Orlando. Yeah, uh, I the terminal's so new that the thing's not set up yet. But anyway, I rented a Bolt EV. Never really dealt with an uh, electric car before. I was like, this is a good time to try it. Sure, because <laughs> we don't have yeah, we don't, like we don't have too far to drive. I yeah, we're I knew that we're only going a certain distance. We weren't just driving and driving and driving everywhere because yeah, it was I like thirty five miles between the hotel and the racetrack. Yeah, I know it's like and from the same from the airport to the hotel, um, and or roughly. And and I know that I've we've I've taken trips with you before and we've driven thousands of miles on a trip, so that would not have been the time for an EV. But um, I was like, let's try it out. We're not. Because the other thing, we're just parking the damn thing for 24 hours, right? So, um, as a car, it's fine. It's a car. Yeah, it works just fine. fine. Uh, I have no problems with it. it. It drove nice. It's quiet. Uh, we drove it into Orlando first because this is an aside. We found through social media, there's this really cool hobby shop that is a hobby shop slash camera store. Which is a cool cross. All of our interest. interests combined. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Really cool place. Like old school art deco building. Been there for like 50 years. They do film processing still inside. So super cool. Uh, yeah, I definitely had an instant instant flashback to me working at CVS processing one hour film when I was a teenager. Um, the smell for sure. What is it? Colonial hobbies. And photography. Yeah. Colonial photo and hobby incorporated. Hobbies and cameras. Store. I got to post a picture of it because it's super cool. If I wasn't um, traveling light, I would have bought way too much stuff. So, yeah, they're good prices. Good price. Yeah. Um, I did buy a set of paintbrushes because I needed a set. And my local hobby store actually didn't have good paintbrushes that I wanted. So, we'll get to that on Scale Autocast. <laughs> but yeah, I'm driving around, not a big deal. There's good chargers in Daytona after I queried our discord group and downloaded like four different apps for finding chargers. Very frustrating. This is the problem. It doesn't count the four apps for using chargers. Yeah. Um, No, there's four. There were four apps for one was for finding chargers then each charger has its own app to use it, except for the one that we found the last day that just used um, that you just swipe a credit card. So like a gas pump, which is what every charger should be like. Um, it's the charging network <laughs> that stinks. And I guess apparently the bolts. So I was complaining about this and some people are like, well, that's a terrible car for rental because it's also super slow charging in general. Even on a fast charger. But how do we know that? We didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm not. That's the problem. I don't want to be super nerdy about EVs, but I guess you have to be if you're an early adopter to like make them work for you. Yeah, it's slightly frustrating. Um, Because I, I mean, I knew like my goal was to try to charge while we were doing other things and then I wouldn't be bothered by it. 
because I'd be occupied to do something else. So one night, Friday night, there was a good charger right across the street from the racetrack. We well, after we there's like a row of like five or six chargers. And like. The third one I tried finally connected with the car and worked. Um, and it charged over an hour while we were eating dinner and only cost eight dollars. That was perfect. I was very happy with that once it worked. Um, but the frustrating part was we had to try three chargers before we found one that worked in the same bank of chargers. Yes. Plus there's like, for, and that wasn't the fault of the car because the other gentleman who was there had the same problem and he was in a Volvo I or Volvo yeah. C, whatever C30, C40, yeah. whatever it's called. Polestar. It's a Polestar. Oh, was it Polestar? You're right. Well, it was a Polestar. Never mind. It was not the recharge. Um, he had the same problem with the charger, so it wasn't an issue with the bolt at that point. It was just an issue with those chargers. Like we connected, it, it would say charging, and then it'd go click and it would turn off. Yeah. What's happening? Because there has to be a handshake between the charger and the car so it knows the condition of the battery. Right. And the whole thing. Problem was um, the charger wanted a handshake and the car wanted a fist bump. And yeah. it just didn't work out. Basically. Yeah. Um uh, once it worked, it was fine, but uh if it was certainly like at a point where I was like, uh, I'm just going to give up. But if there were more, more electric cars there, we'd have been screwed because there were only five available chargers, period. Yeah. And only two of them worked. And so, actually two were occupied by non non electric vehicles. Yep. Which obviously is not policed at all. No. So frustrating. Frustration because number it, one was that. And you missed the time we, we checked. We tried charging before that yeah. at the target. And it was like, we might as well have plugged in a USB charger because... It was like a level one. It didn't do anything. It did nothing. Thankfully, it didn't charge us, but it did nothing. Uh, yeah, I realized why it didn't charge us, because it was basically doing nothing. And then yeah. you pointed out to me that the I didn't make the connection when we were at Target. That charger had a small, thin cable. And it makes sense that when we went to the nice charger, it had a big, heavy, thick cable that was like as thick as a gas pump pose. And you're like, oh, yep. OK, that's why this is getting more juice. Yep, that's the secret. Uh, it actually is a gasoline car. We just don't know it. Yeah, <laughs> they just hide. It's all, gas it's all a goddamn scam. <laughs> um, that was fine. And, um, you know, what like what annoyed me is we went on the way home. That was the other thing why I was like, well, we're just going to stay at the race, too, because one, if I go back to the hotel, I'm not coming back because I'm too tired. <laughs> right. Uh, Our hour and a half nap becomes eight hour sleep. <laughs> yeah. And then if we drove the car there and back, there was no charging near the hotel, annoyingly. Right. Uh, so it would have been like out of juice, which is yep. dumb. Um, that's the other problem. So ha had I done better research and find a decent hotel in the chain that I like that had charging that would have worked too. Maybe <laughs> if the charge is worked. <laughs> as long as you're assuming if they're working and one of the apps that our, our buddy Steve told me to use actually has like, it tells you where they are and it gives people's reviews and it'll be like, and it'll give you the date like, Oh, the charger didn't work on, you know, January 19th. So obviously okay. We're there on the 28th. It's probably still broken. Right. Um, 
So it was like, and then coming home, I'm like, well, we need to charge up. And I, I don't want to sit in traffic by the racetrack. So I found a target that was like six miles away that had really nice chargers. Okay, we'll go there, plug it in. And importantly, a Starbucks. Plug it in, hopefully for like a half an hour. We'll go inside, get Starbucks, walk around the store, come back out. It'll be charged enough. We'll go back to the hotel. Sure. We're doing that. Come back half hour later. It had shut off after like 15 minutes. Hadn't charged very much at all. I don't know why. Yeah. And the annoying yeah, thing is like shut it off was after... good before we walked away. Yeah. And uh, it shut off after 15 minutes, too. I, I think it might have charged me idle time, too, because it was sitting there plugged in. Which is also annoying. Very frustrating. <laughs> so then we finally got it to work again. Uh, and an hour later had 100 percent charge. So we basically had a two hour detour to try to charge the car. Yeah. And the, and the reason, you know, a lot of people like apparently the, the thing come to find out is like EVs work best between 20% and 80%. Um, and when you read a lot of the like literature on EVs, it's like at a 20 at an 80% charge is like what the range is usually given. But the issue is it's a rental car, so we had to return it with a certain amount of charge, and we weren't going to have another charger between that point and returning the yeah. car. And like so we had to go to 100. Even I thought I was being very gentle with the throttle most of the time and doing at or below the speed limit. This thing just sucked down the range. Like, yep. it just didn't feel like a very efficient car for some reason. For a tiny little car, too. Like, it's not a big vehicle. No, and it like felt like it. We, we were talking about that too. Like it's, it was a decent enough car, but at the end of the day, you're in order to buy an electric version, and why they're having problems selling electric cars probably, is in order to buy an electric version of a car this size, you're paying for a premium car, and getting an economy car. Exactly. It's a perfectly economy car, economy car, but it's a thirty-seven thousand dollar economy car. It's a thirty-seven thousand so dollar economy car that has the equivalent of an eight gallon gas tank and gets 25 miles to the gallon. Right. Yeah. You get less than 200 miles of range. Like it should get $7,000 Chevy Aveo. It should feel like a, it should be like a geo Metro and get like 40 miles to the gallon. Yep. Of electric yep. range. That's just my opinion. People argue with me, but uh, I don't know. It's like, that's... no. And, and listen, if, if even if you're in a car with a 200 mile range, Gasoline takes three minutes to fill, so it's less of an issue. And but it gas wouldn't... pumps aren't broken, and there's way more of them, and it would be fine, and it wouldn't be thirty-seven thousand dollars. So we wouldn't so many negatives. We wouldn't have used up nearly half of the charge just to go thirty miles. It would have used right. like a sixteenth of a tank if I was driving that gingerly, like hypermiling. Yep. Yep. And so and that... again, neither one of us is anti EV. We're not going to work better and be like. We, it's just not, it's not there yet. And if you have a, you know, 240 volt system at your house and you can charge overnight and you have one at work, EV is probably the way to go. I, but if you don't have that situation, it's going to be tough to justify buying an EV right now. If this is the, the situation you're going to deal with and I, listen, maybe a different car other than the Bolt that had a better experience. I don't know. But like I said, that Volvo owner had the same issue with the chargers that we did. I like the way the car drive and compared to the Elantra that I rented earlier in the week that had a crummy CVT, 
and like no turbo and would just was like that rubber bandy CVT action. Yeah, I would much rather have an electric car with just a constant torque band. Well, here's where we go back to our other conversation and I get back on another subject that is a sore subject with some of our listeners. What the road? Camry hybrid the road love. is the number one choice. No, Camry hybrid love. Like it just works. Camry hybrid. Our, uh, our Maverick hybrid is great. And you get that instant on torque when you're first accelerating and the switch over to the gas engine is pretty seamless and you get 50 miles per gallon and you stop and fill up at every gas station in town. So I actually read a thing earlier today, like Ford cannot build enough Mavericks still. Still. Yep. Four shifts at the plant. Still a markup at the dealerships. Yeah. Still a waiting list if you want to buy one. And for the hybrids. And, People love the hybrids. And, I, and they're I get cutting it. they're cutting the production of the electric F one fifty. So and GM today just said, Hey, we're cutting our electric production back a little bit and going back to making more hybrids because right now hybrid is the way to go. So I I I am sitting here telling you if I were to buy a brand new car right now for a daily commuter, it would 100% be a hybrid. I wish somebody made a hybrid with a stick. They don't right now, but that's what I'd buy. I'd buy a hybrid. So I would, I would get, I want a plug-in hybrid because I want like the 20 miles of range. Sure. Is what would get me to work one way. Sure. That works for a lot of people probably. Yeah. And then the, the gas is for when, the chargers aren't working and there is none. Yep. Yeah, that's also fine. It's I just I don't it's it's not range anxiety. It's not that people want to drive like 300 miles a tank. It's just that it's annoying to charge things. I think if it's you, a combination if you can't of both. Do it quickly or while you're doing something else is my problem. I think that's because, what builds the range anxiety. Yes, because I I am not at the gas pump every other day with my car. I go to the gas no. pump once a week. No. Even using my car as my daily like office, like I work out of my car. I only do 50 miles a day, 60 miles tops, just around the downtown area. Like I could do that in an electric car, no problem. I don't want to <laughs> because of that issue. So, Because if you don't charge it at home, then you don't have any range and there's no quick correct. way to do it. If, I, if there was a place I could go park 15 minutes and, and top off the tank to full, quote unquote, top off the tank, I, I'd i be all on board to run an electric car for my, my daily everyday job. But right now, hybrid's the way to, way to go. I only get gas once every three weeks, but that's it's fine. So yeah, we're not, again, we're not anti-electric car. We're just, the time is not now. The technology needs to improve. And will the technology ever improve enough? It's going to take enough people. This is the problem. It's going to take enough early adopters who are okay with it being bad to push the need to make it better, to have more. And I think that's the the, the stumbling block that we're at. We need more people to take that leap in order to justify building a better network to support them. And maybe it'll happen. I'm not trying to be... Again, I'm not trying to be anti. I'm just trying to be a realist at the moment. It's it's going to take it's going to take a culture shift in order for it to be successful. So, 
in the meantime, I this just kind of pushed in my own brain that I don't think ever in our life we're going to see a time where there's not an available gas car for sale. And I don't think we're ever going to be able to not buy gas. So who knows? I could be wrong, but maybe I'm not. No, I don't know. But uh, that was that was my experience with it. I I want to try like a much nicer EV at some point. Sure. Yeah, maybe a very similar trip. We can we can try that Polestar and see how it works compared to the Bolt. But I will do better research to find a place with charging that is where we're staying. Or maybe not, because we're trying to just do a real life test here. Like it is. Yeah, it it requires. Here's the thing. If you have the mindset of a person that can pre-plan, then you can be an early EV adopter. If you are not a pre-planner, they are not for you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know if anybody knows this, but uh, Brad here, not a big planner. So I don't know. I guess we can go a little bit longer because we haven't done an episode in a while. Uh, do you have any project car updates or you haven't gotten anything? Cause you've been busy. I right? don't, I've been so busy with that trip and I had, you know, my parents were here in town for a couple of weeks. I did a bunch of cool stuff, went to Barrett Jackson and the future collector car show with my father. Um, did all the local car event stuff here for car week. We could, um, how was that stuff? Everything was amazing as always. Uh, unfortunately I missed the peak of it because I was at Daytona. But I was here for the beginning of everything. Future Collector Car Show was interesting. Um, it's kind of Radwood Energy, but not. I don't understand it, really. It's supposed to be for cars built from 1980 through current. But there were older cars there as well. Um, there was a e- couple EV-swapped 60s and 30s cars, which I guess is kind of in the vein of the show, but also weird. Um, there was some just regular traffic cars that were there to like actual full-blown race cars and everything in between. My biggest issue is that it was a hundred dollars to enter a car on the show. And it was like full on like concourse style judging, but it's not really a concourse. So I don't really understand. Um, it is kind of cool. Cause you know, some influencer types, I guess were there, which I don't really get hung up on. Uh, but Larry Chen was there, which is neat. Um, he did some coverage of it. My father is friends with the head judge because he's actually one of his judges from his Misslewood concourse show. So we were invited to be judges there for this event. I turned it down because I I didn't really understand what the whole point was. I wanted to kind of enjoy the show and take some pictures. Uh, My father was a judge at the show. Um, I think next year I will be a judge. Uh, simply because it got us great parking and free tickets to Barrett. Nice. So uh, I don't think I want to be uh, in the show because, again, $100 to be in the show is, I don't know, doesn't seem like the value is there. Um, but I, I, I'm being grumpy because I don't understand what the show is about. A lot of cool stuff was there, but I don't know. It doesn't It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I'm not uh, I'm not 100% on board. I'm not 100% against it either. 
it was kind of cool because uh, a friend of the show who recently sold his conquest, uh, yep. who actually we saw in Daytona, yep, um, we saw Paul there. He sold his conquest to another friend of mine here, David, and David yep. brought that car to FCCS and he won an award for uh, in the preservation class. Yeah, the best all original car. So that was neat to see that car still doing well there in the preservation class and then actually seeing Paul the following weekend. It was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so I did, we did that. We walked the spent the rest of the day walking at Barrett, looking at all the cars for sale. Lots of garbage. Also lots of good cars. Such a spectacle. I don't think you haven't been out here for that. Have you probably not? Um, mm. it's, uh, it's an experience. Thousands of cars all for sale. Most of them not worth your time. <laughs> at least not for the prices they sell for. I I saw some things sell that I just don't understand. Um, we all know first-gen Broncos are going for tons of money. Uh, there was a first-gen Blazer that was like, it was a nice build, but it was $400,000. And I don't know what's happening in the world that it's $400,000. There was a $47,000 MR2, like first-gen MR2. That doesn't make any sense. There was a three-wheeled 70cc Honda like kids bike that sold for like $11,000. That doesn't make any sense. None of these numbers make any sense. So it's a spectacle. but And there were some deals, I guess, people bought as well. But I, I just, I, I don't understand the pricing structure at these events. It, it continues to blow my mind every year watching the, watching the sales of these vehicles whether it be too low or too high, nothing sells for market value. It seems, um, unfortunately we had a rare rainy weekend here in Phoenix and it happened to be the same weekend as the Arizona concourse and spectator tickets for the Arizona concourse were a hundred dollars. So I didn't feel like buying spectator tickets to go to a car show in the rain. So we attempted to go down there and see what, you know, what we could see from the street, but they had it pretty well walled off. So we didn't see the Arizona concourse, but we did manage to go to the, you know, the Pavs show and which is a little bit bigger during car week here and some of the other local events that, uh, we got to take in, went to the Martin museum that you and I went to last time you were here in town. Um, they've changed it up a little bit. I think you remember, remember one of the things we were kind of mind blown by was that you could get in all the cars. Yeah. You can no longer get in all the cars. Oh, uh, they've locked quite a few of them. The cars that are unlocked, you can get in, uh, but they've locked quite a few of them probably due to the fact that people suck. I assume. Yeah. Um, or just maybe due to the wear and tear that hundreds of people getting in these 50 year old cars was causing. Who knows? But, uh, a lot of them are locked. Um, a lot of them still aren't, but a lot of them are. Uh, still a great, great spot. I'm actually going to a car show there tomorrow as well. So uh, I actually, my father and I met Mel Martin, who owns the museum. He happened to be there that day, and we just struck up a conversation with some of the other people that were there that were working and turned into a conversation with Mel himself. A super nice guy. He was just coming back from the Meekum Kissimmee auction in Florida where he spent $1.3 million on a 1948 Tucker. 
Whoa. So I'm actually super stoked tomorrow to go back to the museum and uh, see this Tucker in the sheet metal because it's there now. It wasn't there yet when we were there last time. So I'm going to go to that car show there tomorrow and uh, go inside and see if I can find Mel again and maybe get to put hands on a Tucker. That'd be amazing, hopefully. Fingers crossed. But at, at the very least, I'm stoked to go see it. So I've only ever seen one Tucker in person at a museum. So we need to see another one. So, but yeah, well, that was uh, that was about it for events. Um, my father and mother used the 944 as their quote unquote rental car. Kind of like last time I was there, I used your G20 as my rental car. Yeah. So they drove the Porsche around all week. Uh, I hadn't put any miles on it since I had done the intake manifold gaskets. It's kind of just been sitting in the side yard. So he uh, put some miles on it for me. After the first couple of days, he's like, the idol is hunting pretty bad. Sounds like a vacuum leak. And I was like, well, that's unfortunate because I just fixed a vacuum leak. So I opened the hood, dug around a little bit. I guess there is a project car update in here. Um, there is some sort of a solenoid behind the driver's side headlight that has a line going into it and out of it. And both those lines were off of the solenoid and they're both plugged with like deck screws, which is not oh. something that I did. Um, and it turned out that one of the deck screws had started to like unthread itself from the hose and it was leaking pretty severely. So I was like, well, let's just pull these deck screws out and see what happens. So we pulled the deck screws out and the idle dropped to like 1100. It was hunting between like 700 and 1200, like uh, 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 super annoying. So it dropped down to like a thousand or 1100 and it seemed to stay pretty steady. Uh, and then it hunted a little bit and stopped It hunted a little bit and stopped. I was like, let's leave this line open for a little bit and just see what happens. Cause it does have a rudimentary ECU in it. That's going to have some kind of a learning cycle. So drove it around a little for another day with just that hose wide open to atmosphere. Uh, and the car ran great. Why don't you so, just plug it in the solenoid? Well, this we're getting to that. My <laughs> assumption was the solenoid was bad and that's why it was plugged. Uh, that's why it was unplugged, I should say. And the lines just kind of plugged into each other. Um, so I've now plugged it into the solenoid on both sides and the car runs great. So I don't know why it was unplugged. I don't know what the solenoid does. I haven't done that much digging yet. You're your smug, man. But it works just fine. So we're going to call it call it fixed. <laughs> so uh, the car runs great now. I It doesn't have any more idle hunt. Um, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to let it lie. So car needs a couple little things uh, I plan on doing. Um, it does still need wheel bearings. Around town, I wasn't worried about it, but I wouldn't take it on a super long highway trip, which is why I drove the Eclipse to L.A. and blew the time belt. So, um, yeah, needs a couple little things, but I'll get to that. And uh, But right now, it's running fine, so all is well. So, yeah, that's my uh, quick little project car update that I forgot I had. Don't have any other ones, though. Haven't done anything else. So, that's it. Yeah, it's pretty much all I got. Yeah, I got nothing else. It was a solid hour and a half plus of talking, so we could probably give it a rest anyway. Stay tuned for some race car noises. Oh, that's right, too. Yeah. So I think I'll throw those in before the credits for you. You have to listen to the, to the credits. 
But so, after we tell everybody where to find us. That's right. Uh, where can they find you, Brad? They can find me on Instagram, maybe, at uh, TSISS350. I did get uh, slapped by Instagram today for some copyright infringements for posting some original photography of my own. Yeah. Not sure what's happening there. We'll find out, I guess. Uh, and then also, don't forget to join us on Discord. Send either one of us a message for an invite over there. And uh, also Instagram at Scale Autocast, where I'll be posting some pictures of some model cars from our model car group build, even though most people haven't finished yet. Eh, I was busy. Sure. So was I. Still managed to finish. You don't have a three and a half year old. Whatever. Excuses. He goes to bed. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Yeah, follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. I'm on Threads. Uh, Auto Off Topic podcast on uh, Instagram and Threads and Facebook and the whole meta platform, I guess. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, as always, keep your cars analog and name the roses. <laughs>